Good evening, good afternoon, good morning, or whenever you happen to be listening to this. Welcome to the Film Realist Podcast, the film and TV podcast from a complete nobody. That is hopefully for somebody. I'm your host, Kal Naranya. This is an all-Amazon Prime episode. Uh, not a sponsor, but imagine that would be absolutely amazing if Amazon Prime uh, s- sponsored this little show of mine. But the reason I say that is that there's going to be two things that I'm going to discuss on this week's episode. The first was a request. So Jermaine, I got you with the season two long awaited debut of Invincible and a full season review of Gen V, the spinoff of, of course, the very popular The Boys series, also on Amazon Prime. There probably won't be any non-spoiler sections to this as there is no guest I just want to discuss all the details and my general thoughts. It's going to be obviously shorter for Invincible, but and I'm hoping to be much longer with Gen V, given that it's a full eight episode season. So time codes will be listed in the description, of course, if you do want to hop around to that. I'm going to start off with Invincible and then I'm going to finish with Gen V. So let's not waste any more time and get into the season two premiere of Invincible. All right, Invincible Season 2 starts off about a month after the Season 1 finale, which I found really interesting given the significant distance between the two seasons. I believe it was close to a over uh, to almost two, well, no, two plus years as the first season debuted in March of 2021. And of course, we are now in 2023. There was, of course, the Adam Eve essentially prequel movie that we did get in July, which I highly recommend as a refresher for the Invincible universe, since it had been almost when April of 2021 was when season one concluded that getting a refresher with the world and exactly what was going on was really great, is particularly getting to see an origin story from Adam, from Adam Eve is something I really appreciated. One of my concerns with the trailer for this, and I should preface this by saying, and I don't know if I have said this on the podcast before, is I've not read any of the comics. And so similar to something like One Piece, where of course I could go and read the source material, I enjoyed the adaptation so much that I'm waiting to see the television version of this story. Robert Kirkman has gone on record saying that they're going to change things around, and that's going to allow for... he feels to be a more improved and maybe a potentially more flushed out version of the story and getting to revisit your own work can sometimes result in that sometimes you got it right the first time but ultimately that's going to be up to the people who did read the comic book series and as I haven't I was a little bit nervous with the marketing particularly for season two where there has been a concern in film and TV Twitter about the use of multiverses in general, it appearing to be some sort of crutch for the Marvel Cinematic Universe when it comes particularly to what's going on in this multiverse saga and not necessarily seeming as focused as the Infinity Saga eventually was in the third phase. We are, of course, in the second phase of the multiverse saga, and there are still significant questions in the air and particularly leading into what I'm going to be reviewing next week with the Marvels and Loki season two. Please don't tweet at me about anything to do with Loki. I know this is supposed to be invincible, but I still have only seen the first episode. I unfortunately have gone completely off track with that show, so I'm going to planning on binging it this week leading into the finale, which day of recording will be coming out on Thursday. So Invincible 
also dealing with a multiverse. I was slightly concerned about how this is going to affect the story, but pleasantly surprised that we get a substantially different version of that, not in terms of how they use the multiverse, but the fact that we have Sterling K. Brown playing a character named Angston Levy, who was in an, a universe where um, Mark actually did team up with Nolan and take over the planet. And that his interest, interestingly enough, his abilities are similar to America Chavez in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, where he can't travel within the same dimension. And so he is using all of the different angstroms of, along the universe to essentially coalesce and become this one hive mind of everything that's happened in in a way that he will hopefully prevent any more cataclysmic events from the, what are they called, Voltramites? I should know this, but yeah, Vitrulmites. I'm very tired, so I apologize. It's been a very long day, and I did not want to delay the episode coming out. I'm trying to have them more, come out more consistently. Uh, I think it's Viltramites. There we go. I got it. Apologies. And so having a an evil Mark to some degree teaming up with Nolan, I'm very curious to see how that comes up in the future. Are we going to see a version of Mark fighting Mark? It would be really disappointing to some degree if that's not the case. But ultimately, what I enjoy the most with this show and similarly with The Legend of Vox Machina on Amazon Prime is... These adult cartoons handling comic book characters and high fantasy with something like Legend of Vox Machina, of course, being inspired by the D&D campaign from Critical Role, that you get the bombastic action and spectacle of these more childlike storytelling methods, but that does not affect the actual content within the story. Mark obviously is suffering from a substantial amount of trauma in nearly being killed by his own father. And he's dealing with this guilt of not being able to save the people around him, him wanting to be invincible and the hero and live up to the name of Omni-Man, obviously prior to whatever happened in Chicago, particularly in the season two or season one finale. And I really like this aspect of getting to dive into the traumatic psyche of somebody who has failed. It's ironic that it connects to a couple episodes ago when I did review Spider-Man 2, which I'm going to be totally honest, I'm a little disappointed with how little people have listened to that episode. I know I beat the game in the opening weekend, but if you have had a chance to play the game and haven't heard my thoughts on it yet, please check it out. I think it's it's quite a good episode. But that affecting all of his relationships and him still wanting to be a regular kid, but at the same time feeling that there is this weight on him to make up for the fact that he ultimately did fail in stopping Nolan, but ultimately Nolan left on his own accord, is something I'm really interested to see how that moves along with the story, even considering the fact that even though Mark winds up working for the for Cecil and the government and to some degree stopping what was going on with Angstrom's mind melding machine, but it wasn't an ultimately something he actually did to me that it did similarly remind me of the ending of Spider-Man homecoming, which quite frankly, I don't think Peter was successful. It's vulture who ultimately was the result of his undoing. And so Mark having this trauma and how that is, how is, I'm very curious to see how that's affected by finding out that the reason for Angstrom's 
motives and why he's doing what he's doing is because of a version of himself. I'm really curious to seeing how that is explored. And ultimately, like, will we see more Viltramites? I, I don't know. And then getting to see that the Guardians are not working at full capacity, particularly because Rudy is now that he is a human boy inside that robot is suffering from being an actual human being and that the immortal is back in that leadership capacity and immortal in particularly, of course, not trusting, trusting Mark because of Nolan. A lot of the different dynamics that the season two has set up. I'm really curious in seeing how they explore those moving forward in general. I'm a little disappointed. We are going to get four episodes and four episodes. I'm really hoping that, this works as an overall season and as two parts to one season, getting four and four. But I think that as a season premiere, it does a lot of ex explaining where the characters are, but giving us just enough breadcrumbs into where the season may be going that I am, of course, on board and really looking forward to seeing particularly how this world evolves and what the multiverse does mean for the Invincible universe. I'm hoping that it's a closed story and ultimately the biggest issue with the multiverse when you are telling that in any medium, movies, television, or comics, is that it sometimes can remove the stakes or consequences from anything because, well, you could just go to another universe. Rick and Morty has done that to some degree, but then also, of course, played with other aspects of finality. And so with there being real consequences for a lot that happened in the first season, I'm hoping that that, that does not remove that because then there is the, a con there is the possibility of also re removing tension from the storytelling. So fingers crossed that's not the case. Let me know what you thought of the premiere of season two of Invincible and if you will be checking it out on all the socials. Having said that, I'm going to be now talking about Gen V as a whole. As I said in the intro, there will be spoilers. So if you did not have a chance yet to watch Gen V or you don't care about the spoilers, they will be in there. So I'm going to be talking about the boys spinoff Gen V season one as a whole right now. All right, Gen V, I think, was marketed to some degree as what if the X-Men mansion was was in the boys universe. And of course, if you are following along with the boys in general, produced by Eric Kripke and Evan Goldberg, you know that this universe is crude, rude, and gross. And <laughs> that absolutely continues with Gen V. We are introduced to a cast of characters with similar powers, but also unique powers all at the same time. Marie Moreau, who is, I'm going to call her a bloodbender for all intents and purposes. And we are given some stereotypical powers as well as kind of a combination of other stuff with uh, size changing, being able to grow big and small. And as I said already, there's going to be full spoilers in this. And we are given a gender shifting soup as well as somebody with telekinesis. Um, I don't know what Magneto technically is called, but... Um, I don't know what he would be, but a, a magnetism being able to control metal, a metalopath, a metallicopath. I don't know. Let me know what you think. Somebody who controls metal should be called metoconesis. I, I don't know. I'm not sure. And I'm not going to continue to fall down this rabbit hole. And so ultimately, I'm I, I watched the last three episodes all together. Just I don't know. T cards on the table kind of. Had a rough couple weeks, so covering 
watching content consistently became a problem. Not a problem, but seemed to be a little bit overwhelming at times. And so I got behind on, on things. This, I don't think pitching this as X-Men or Charles Xavier's school for gifted children, but in the boys universe is what this winds up being at all. It feels more akin to almost American pie with superpowers, but also there's a, I don't even like a, a thriller aspect to it where there's some secret conspiracy happening at the same time. I might be a horrible description for this, but regardless, I want to get into the positive because I do have mixed feelings as a whole on this show, which is I think the main cast of characters is really great together. One of the elements of television, and I'm if you don't want to listen to Kyle on a soapbox, then don't listen to this right now, but particularly with Jordan Lee's character and being somebody who is pronouns are they them and it has the ability to switch between both genders and the conversation specifically that Jordan has with their father and how the exterior is not necessarily a reflection of who they are as a person and how they still are that same kid who I'm I'm quote or I'm paraphrasing but always loved playing PlayStation until it was late in the evening and all of those things that their father thinks of, of them as a person that they still are and how particularly in one of the instances where Marie calls out Jordan for any time they want to make a point that they switch to their male facade, I thought was really interesting and how they're going to continue to analyze that even in the superhero world that somebody who is non-binary but in actuality can become both genders still doesn't necessarily have a place in these in the top 10 which is used to evaluate what superheroes at Godolkin ultimately will get selected to be in the seven and what what I found really interesting was how this show kicks off and it was not something I expected where Luke Reardon or Golden Boy played by Patrick Schwarzenegger is the golden quite literally the golden boy he is the king of the the top 10 he's being bred and taught to be this the next hero in the seven and ultimately the conspiracy behind the whole thing is that the dean of the school children or sorry not children her family was killed on the plane from i believe the first season of the boys that homelander was responsible for downing with with Queen Maeve and that she is on this mission to kill all superheroes and is in this place under the school called the woods that they are generating a virus to kill superheroes. And hopefully eventually, of course, Homelander Homelander, of course, being the through line throughout this and jumping all the way to the finale does have a cameo in that. And I really liked how the world continues to expand with Gen V and introducing us to a new cast of characters that I'm assuming at some point will become a part of the boys season four to some degree. Now it's interesting because Gen V has been picked up for a season two. So maybe we do not see them at all, but Eric Kripke has said that season four of the boys does kick off a a couple days, if not a week after season one of Gen V. 
One of the elements I really enjoyed was getting to see Andre and his relationship with his father, who was Polaris and had the exact same powers as him. And that even though I don't want to call it liquid V, but whatever the, the medication is called, uh, I don't remember, but whatever they're given to make them superheroes and that even though Polaris was this hero and he's trying to essentially have his son become the next generation of uh, or the next the next Polaris apologies for the delay in that sentence, but that there are actual physical consequences for his powers ultimately resulting in him having some form of seizure. And there's been deterioration in the gray matter of his brain and that we do see some of we do see Andre experience lightheadedness and even pass out at times in the show. The elements that I enjoyed the most were around the mystery of the woods and particularly who was involved with that. We get the voice of Lex Luthor, Clancy Brown, who is essentially the de- not the dean, but the I don't what is his role specifically? I don't remember what exactly he's listed as for this. Where is Clancy Brown? He is listed as the renowned professor and the chairman in charge of essentially grooming golden boy to become the next hero of the seven, not grooming in a horrible, disgusting way, but well, I guess to some degree in that they have taken his brother away from him. Now there isn't a reason particularly why they did do that, but Sam clearly has some unfortunate mental health issues in where he is unable to see reality. And while that was really interesting at times, it felt a little derivative of what we had experienced with Black Noir and seeing the cartoons and the Muppets. The Muppet action sequence was very funny, but it did feel too similar to what we had just experienced with Black Noir in the previous season. And one area that I think I've just become numb to is that while, of course, the absurdity and the gruesomeness of the violence really does emphasize the significance of what is happening around them, the the significant explicit nature of some of the sequence or scenes in particular in this show, while of course they're shocking to some degree, and like shock and awe is of course bread and butter for the boys, it feels kind of hollow at points where it doesn't, it doesn't really need to be happening. I think it takes away on occasion from what the story is trying to do, particularly with there's a sequence where trying to keep this family friendly, of course, where particularly with little cricket and an experience she has with somebody who clearly has a fetish for somebody being very tiny and the body dysmorphia that the, the, the person that she is with has about a particular appendage on his body. And so I thought that was just straight up gratuitous. Obviously, I understand what they're trying to do. And I think Emma's story in particular where she has, and again, it is well executed, but the relationship that she has with her mother felt very reminiscent from Starlight and the relationship that she had with her mom, hers being from a more Christian faith background and this being more about being successful and finding your lane with Emma as little cricket. and. Also addressing the fact that her superpowers come from purging in terms of main like throwing up and that resulting in her shrinking, but 
eating ultimately resulting in her growing in size. But obviously, if you've if you're following along and you watch the last episode, it appears that she is able to grow out of stress. So I'm very curious if that's going to be addressed at all in season two, because that requires no- nothing at least externally for anybody to be to be aware that she is doing it up until this point everybody is aware because of social media god it's such a horrible place at times that that is what she has to do to shrink in size i liked marie moreau's overall storyline in this being somebody who has accidentally killed her family because of her blood bending abilities and that has caused her sister to no longer want to anything want to do want to be around her or anything to do with her. She has gone into hiding and has been hidden from her. And that without her knowing she has also been groomed by. And again, I'm sorry. There's so many people in this, but who is in charge of the government? She's in the very end. Nope, nope, nope. Who does she see? I'm so sorry. I have lost it. But it's the woman who was blowing heads up, the counselor. What is her name and why can't I find it? Special guests. She's not. Why can't I find it? I'm going to pause. All right. Victoria Newman. Also, we get more of an explanation on her powers and that she has actually been responsible for what at least getting Marie to Godolkin and hopefully eventually becoming part of the seven as the first black woman and that she'd be able to do a lot more. Marie's main motivation throughout the show is, of course, to be a hero and to show that she is a hero in her sister's eyes in particular, and that hopefully at some point they would be able to reunite. There's a lot happening in this show. I like the conspiracy of it. I like how we get this horrible person as a psychic. And ultimately, obviously, there's what happens to him and where he is particularly injured and the manipulation of these kids. Cause they still are kids slash young adults from the, from everyone who is supposed to be their mentor and looking after them is certainly an aspect of a power dynamic that unfortunately is super realistic and becoming more apparent that these things have happened in the real world. And that cracked mirror that the boys has always been able to reflect in what's been going on in society in general Homelander, of course, not meant to be a hero and is supposed to be a reflection of horrible people who have had power in the United States in particular and probably everywhere else in the world is a really interesting dynamic, particularly leading into where we see with him in the finale. And ultimately, while I did enjoy the show, I think the conclusion that it builds to is an unsatisfying one. We do ultimately get to find out who is involved with the consequence with the woods and there are consequences where the scientist is of course killed by victoria newman but she is able to acquire the virus that he has cultivated that will result in killing superheroes so i'm very curious to see how that comes up again but all of our heroes by the end of the show are put in the 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 new area I can't remember what it's called. I'm looking here on Wikipedia, but I can't remember. But it's the place where kids who flunk out of Godolkin go, which is a next level prison. And so in doing so, it's a lot of buildup for continuation. And unfortunately, because I and this is based on my own assumption that we are not going to get any answers into where our the heroes of Godolkin are. And the fact that the news is able to spin it, that the people who are actually injured in this in the 
the massacre in the school with Sam being the brother of Golden Boy, who's unfortunately mentally unwell, and Kate, who turns out that she's been manipulated by the Dean to control Golden Boy and her friends as a result, even causing them to lose memories at times. Ultimately, her transition into wanting to kill all of humans, I think, happens really quickly. And while we do get to see what exactly she's been struggling with as that her po her powers did result in her brother having to leave because she told him to her also having telekinesis or te being telepathic that the transition to wanting to just kill everybody. I think that it's not earned to some degree. Now you may disagree with me, but again, that's my opinion on it. And because we are not going to get very many answers on this, the only thing really addressed in this in general is we get to see the CIA agent who Billy and the boys work consistently. I'm assuming that there's going to be some sort of investigation into what the woods maybe was because they're likely tipped off for that. But Homelander showing up and just attacking another soup in in the school who there would be witnesses to Marie saving people. I'm really curious how they are going to spin all of these things. And so with that, I did enjoy the overall mystery and the, the story that the show did tell, but ultimately it does feel significantly unfinished more than I would like a television stories typically to be. Now, in general, I, I would recommend the show. I think, as I said at the very beginning, it was a great experience expansion of the boys universe getting to see another area of how these superheroes come to be how do people get to the seven and all of the politics involved with that again is always interesting and intriguing and the show is very well put together when it comes to who how it's acted how it is written and then the production value of course is quite good specifically when it comes to all of the insane violence and grotesqueness of the show that is of course it's bread and butter but overall I would say I, my hope is that because Eric Kripke has been such an excellent showrunner in the past, particularly with his creation of Supernatural and its significant build from season one to five, which was his initial run of the show, that I'm hoping we don't just keep blowing up the universe and don't feel like we are heading in one particular direction. Of course, Homelander's or his control over the world I'm assuming is going to be growing to some degree and maybe he want, runs for office to some degree so that way he can be in control as a superhero and in terms of the government but I don't really know the boy season four we're not really sure when it's going to be coming out I know that Eric Kripke had mentioned that season four was delayed because of the writer's strike and now that that has been resolved hopefully we do get a release date but currently there isn't one announced. So I'm looking forward to seeing the boys hopefully continue some of the story from Gen V. But as well, I'm hoping that Gen V season two wraps more of this up. And that if that is the last season of Gen V, that we get a significant bow tie to wrap this up. And maybe these the characters, once they've escaped the prison that they're in, are eventually folded into the boys as a as one show and not requiring two in general so that'll do it for my review of the boy or not the boys gen v season one let me know what you thought about it on social media did you love it are you still really hyped about the boys universe or do you feel that maybe it's losing its steam which is 
sort of how I feel about it, but ultimately I'm still going to be there on day one to watch The Boys Season 4, so I'm kind of up and down with that. So that'll wrap up my review of Gen V. Let's jump, jump into the outro and you can find out what's happening next week. All right, I hope you enjoyed this Amazon Prime-inspired re- episode of the podcast. As I mentioned earlier, next week's episode will be a review of Season 2 of Loki, which you can watch on Disney+. Plus. I'm just telling you where they're available because it probably, probably makes it easier if you don't know where, it's, where you can watch these shows. As well as The Marvels, the continuation of WandaVision, Miss Marvel, Captain Marvel, and I guess Endgame to some degree... So we're going to get to see all of those Marvel-esque characters in one film. And I have to say that I'm quite looking forward to it. I'm going to try to have that episode available on Monday morning. So I'm going to try to record it a little bit earlier. So that way, if you are really looking forward to it, you can listen to it first thing Monday. But if I don't get to it, the episode, of course, will be released on Monday evening, which I'm hoping to have as a more regular release date. Once again, if you enjoyed the podcast, please Review it on your podcast platform. If you were listening on Spotify, I embed a question in all the episodes. It helps with the analytics. If you know somebody who would like to listen to a podcast about one guy and sometimes his friends discuss film and TV, please recommend it to them. If you enjoyed this show, you can let me know on social media. I am at Kyle underscore Naranya on Twitter, as well as the Film Realists, which is on Twitter, Threads, Instagram, Hive, and Facebook, and TikTok. Probably not going to be any funny videos for this because I just really wanted to focus on giving you the best episode I could. So you can check out all of the social medias uh, if you want to find out about anything coming up. But regardless, this has been the Film Realist Podcast. I'm your host, Connor Anya. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I hope to see you on the next one.